coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 19th of February, 2023, marveling at Jesus. The last several weeks we've been talking about being fishers of men. We've been talking about what God had called his disciples to do. We talked about some of the components dealing with like confession and repentance. And as I was reflecting on today's message in preparation for it, I thought, you know what might be good for us to do? Is pause for station identification. So I want to talk about Jesus today. One word that kept popping up in the text that I was reading, and, and then uh, you can see it in your notes, is the word marvel. Time and time again, when Jesus was about doing ministry in his, in his culture, in his day, in Israel, we see the word marvel people marveled at what was he was doing. They marveled at what he said. They marveled what he did. And so just briefly again, just to define what that word means, it means to wonder. They wondered what in the world is going on. It also sometimes has the idea more of astonishment, like, I can't believe I really saw that or it really happened. One definition said to be filled with the emotional impact of overwhelming surprise or shock. To be filled with the emotional impact of overwhelming surprise or shock. So here's what I'd like to do today in our time together is I'd like to look at some Bible stories and make some points as we go along. And I want you to look at the person of Jesus and how people reacted to him. Okay? So the first one that I'm going to take you to is found in the book of Matthew chapter 8. So if you would turn there with me, Matthew chapter 8. There's... there's if I said there was other stories than what we're going to cover today, you would sort of nod your head and go, yeah, and you could have gone lots of places. So I'm just going to pick out a few. Jesus had been doing miracles and those kind of things, but then he gets into a boat in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. And the thing I don't want you to do, and you have to guard yourself on this, is not to say, I heard this story before. I know what you're talking about. Let's move on. I want you to pause for station identification. It says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Verse 23, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, 
so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. The gospel says he was in the stern on a, on a, a pillow in the back and was asleep. And they went and they woke him. So who is this? This is disciples there with him in the boat. Saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith, or O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Okay, we've covered the story. You know it. You've heard it now again. Let's move on. No. I want you to think for a moment where they are and what's going on. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And who's in this group? His disciples, including James and John, Peter and Andrew. And what was their skill set before they were called to be fishers of men? They were fishers of fish. And on what sea? The Sea of Galilee. Had they ever seen storms before? Certainly they had. Now I'm sure that there was others like Matthew, the tax collector, wasn't used to being out in a boat in the middle of a rough sea. But the way the Sea of Galilee is formed is sort of surrounded by hills all the way around. So when the winds come to the Sea of Galilee, they swoop over that and they can cause a storm to come up in nothing flat. Jesus is now in this boat. They're crossing over and they're caught in the middle. And scripture says, there arose a great storm. This is no ordinary storm. This is extraordinary. The fishermen, if they had, were faced with a storm, go, just hang on, it's, it's okay, we'll get through this. We've been here before, we've done that. So I want you to think in terms of these men who are out in the sea. Would Jesus sleep in the stern? And they're going, we're going to die. We're going to die in this storm. Have you ever been afraid? I mean, really afraid? These men said, there is no hope in this place. This is a hopeless situation. We're in a storm. We're taken on water. And I don't know what we're going to do. And their idea was, let's wake up Jesus so at least he can be afraid with us. <laughs> he has no right to be asleep while we're in panic mode. But as I was reading this, I was thinking, Lord, what about me? Being in those situations of desperation and fear. 
we had a pastor, fellow pastor, who lost his son when he was ministering here in town. Life became too much for him. And he went and took his own life. What was he thinking in the last moments of his life? What am I gonna what am I gonna do? The situation is hopeless. I might as well die because it's useless. And the disciples cried out to Jesus, which was a good thing. And they say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Well, how much faith do we need? And Jesus talks in other places, oh, I need the faith of seed, size of a seed of grain of mustard seed. That's all you need. It's the object you place it in. And he says, I'm looking around, I don't even see any seeds. <laughs> and he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. I don't want to draw this analogy out too much, but I think it's applicable to say that's a common experience when we come to Jesus. That our life is stormy and he call, comes and brings great calm into our lives. And only he could do it as he did here. And what was the response? <clears throat> Literally, the men could say, I never saw this coming. I can see the storm. I can see you asleep. We're perishing. This, this situation is hopeless. I don't know how we could get ourselves out of this. We're in a boat, boat sinking. No one's coming to rescue us. There's no Coast Guard here. This is us, and we're dying. What could possibly be done? Jesus goes, peace be still. And I want you to notice the contrast here. And if you're good for marking your Bible, this is a good place. He says in verse 24, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. And in verse 26, When he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was now a great calm. This was not just, oh, we're back to normal here now. The place is flat. We're not moving. There's no wind. There's no ripples on the sea. It's like glass. It went from a great storm to a great calm. The next story is found in Matthew chapter 9. And it's just a brief glimpse as we go by. In Matthew chapter 9, 
Jesus in the process of going about doing ministry? He just healed a couple blind men. And in verse 32, and he says, As they were going away, behold, and who were going away? These blind men that now could see. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Oh, wow. One moment not being able to say a word and the next moment to be able to speak. Most of you know that I went the other direction and as far as my hearing is concerned, my right side, one moment I was hearing and the next moment hearing was gone in my right side. Lord hasn't seen fit to restore it, but it happened just like that. Here, just the opposite. The man can't speak. The next moment, he can. And those that were around knew exactly what was going on. He says, the crowds marveled and said, never was anything like this seen in Israel. We have never seen anything like this. Who is this man who can make a mute speak? Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Jesus. Well, let's move on to uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, again, a familiar story to you. You could tell it to me as well as I could tell it to you. Jesus had crossed over the sea again, and he was on the other side. And in Mark chapter 5, uh, he comes to the Gadarenes, and when he stepped out of the boat, verse 2 of chapter 5, immediately there met a man in the tombs, a man with unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs. And what's it saying? Verse 3. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. kind of situation was this for this man <clears throat> desperate desperate he was not about to die it wasn't like the, the disciples on the scene his situation was also hopeless though this it wasn't something just happened on Tuesday and we're reading about it on Wednesday this is something that had been ongoing so much so that he had been confronted evidently more than once with the idea of trying to bind this guy and to at least confine him if they couldn't 
fix him. But they couldn't even confine him. Scripture says in verse 6, And when he saw Jesus far, he ran down and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then we have the whole dialogue, and I won't go into the dialogue so much because, well, you have the passage, you can read it for yourself. But we know the situation that Jesus finally cast the demon out, and they were legion, and they went into some pigs, and the pigs rushed down a steep bank and into the sea, and how many pigs were filled with the evil spirits? 2,000. I'd say he was in a pretty desperate situation. Well, those that were watching over the pigs ran into town and go, you know what just happened to our business? <laughs> and they all came out. Now listen to this. I love this statement. And they came to Jesus, verse 15, and saw the demon-possessed man. Well, well formally, demon-possessed man now. The one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. <laughs> you gotta laugh! <clears throat> now they're afraid? He's sitting clothed and in his right mind? Before we were bind, trying to bind him, he was breaking chains and everything. And now that he is sitting there in his right mind, we're afraid. And they're looking at this man who God touched. And listen to their response. In verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why? Because they were so impressed with what he had done? No. Because he had messed with their business. They just lost 2,000 pigs. Would you get out of here? You're not good for us. The man who had been possessed with demons had the right response, though, in verse 18. Begged him that he might be with him. Jesus, can I go with you? I know what you've done. You've changed my life. You've given me hope when there was no hope. Lord, can I go with you? And you would expect if there was ever a time to call another disciple, this would be a time. This guy has had a sincere change in his heart and life. And you say, sure, come along, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. But he doesn't do that. He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, basically 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and 
everyone marveled. He said, I was this way. And now I'm this way. And it was the work of Jesus. And the people said, we know who you are. At first, we didn't quite recognize you, but as you tell the story, sitting here clothed and in your right mind, we get it. How did you get that way? We remember the efforts that were made to bind you, and no one could bind you. How is it that you're sitting clothed in your right mind? Jesus. Let's move ahead. Mark 12. In Mark 12, Jesus has been busy teaching again, as he often did. And uh, you got to love the context here. In verse 13, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Rhodians to trap him in his talk. That would be like saying, we got a group of Republicans and Democrats together and they were of one mind and one heart and they were going to go after Jesus. You go, <laughs> yeah, like the, that happening. But the Pharisees had no, no love for the Herodians. And the Herodians had no love for the Pharisees. But they saw in Jesus a common enemy. And they said, let's see if we can trip him up. And they came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are true. You do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by, his, by appearances but true, teach truly the way of God. Do you know what that was? They're just blowing smoke. They didn't believe a word of what they were saying. They were just saying this stuff to butter him up because they're going to set the hook here in a moment. And this is what they say. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? They wanted to see. If Jesus would say, don't pay taxes, they would run to the Romans <laughs> and say, this guy is proclaiming we shouldn't pay taxes. And if he says pay taxes, we'll run to the Jews and say, this guy's in league with Rome. Either way, we got it. Verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me to Daenerys and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. They marveled at him. Why? How in the world did he snake out of this? 
How did, how did he figure a way when we thought it was either or, he went off with option three? It's because he's Jesus. And they marveled at his wisdom. Let's move on. Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been involved in, in ministry. And again, we're doing miracles. A man comes from the crowd and he says, would you, would you do something for me? Would you look at my son? For he's my only child in verse 38 of Luke 9. And he goes, would you look at him? Why? He says, because he's, he's got a problem. Now, I want you to give the, get the context here. <clears throat> Maybe you've had this experience before. You ever been on a spiritual high? I mean, you've gone to a retreat or something like that. And the time was just wonderful and you were separated from everything else and no one was bothering you. You could just concentrate on the Lord and it was good and it was wonderful. And then you come down to the mountains and you get back into reality, right? And it isn't long before all that glow sort of starts to fade. If you study the context, what just happened before this guy steps out of the crowd to talk about his son was the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus had just gone on the mountain with his, his inside guys, Peter, James, and John, and, and the, he was surrounded by the glory of God, and they see him glorified. Peter says, let's build some tabernacles. Let's not leave here. This is a great mountaintop experience. They come down off the hill after that, and immediately the next day, Back to reality. Here's a man with a son. And he says in verse 39, Behold, the Spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and will hardly leave him. He says, I, I talked to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. And when Jesus now confronts him, he says, when he's coming, the demon threw himself, threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Who is this one? Luke says, they saw the majesty of God. I want you to think of the context. Peter, James, and John were just up on the mountain, saw God, Jesus glorified. Now Jesus performs this miracle, and the whole of the group see the majesty of God in this work that Jesus did. Anytime that Jesus 
moves in a person's heart and lives, and that person is changed and converted and believes. I believe that's always a miracle. I mean, we're talking about demons being cast out and things like that. It's always a miracle. But you know, some people have more dramatic testimonies than others. Some of you, like myself, might have grown up in a Christian home, been taken to church. I was taken to church before I knew I was taken to church. They have pictures of me in, in nursery and Sunday school classes before I can ever remember being that young. <coughs> so I've always sort of known about Jesus, who's talked about in our household, talked about in our family. But I can tell you that's not the same story for everybody, is it? And I've known some people with some dramatic conversions. And this is one of them. And what was the response? People were astonished at the majesty that God would do this for this young man. John chapter 4. Like the woman at the well. Oh yeah, the story of the woman at the well. I want you to note a verse here. He says, when he heard that, the when the Pharisees had heard, in verse 1, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although John, Jesus himself was not, did not baptize, only his disciples. Then Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he's down in the southern area of Israel, and now he's moving back up to the north where the Sea of Galilee is. And he says, in verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. That looks like an innocent enough verse. Had to pass through Samaria. Or up here is the area around Galilee. Down here is the area around of Judea, around Jerusalem and all the rest. And in between was Samaria. Samaria was filled with, are you ready for this? Samaritans. Go figure. Anyway, these Samaritans were ostracized by true Jews because they had intermarried and they hadn't married always other Jews. And so they were sort of ostracized. And in Jesus' day, the way that you would get from Judea, where Jesus was, to Galilee, Galilee where he was headed, would be to go to the east and go up the Jordan River and then come back in to Galilee and avoid Samaria in the middle. And what did Jesus do? He says, I must needs go through Samaria. And we find out why in just a moment. He passed through and he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar 
near the field that Jacob had been given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, by the way, over and over again, we see the humanity of God here. He was tired out. He was tired out. He got to the well. And he was sitting beside the well. And it was the sixth hour. Now we don't read until later on that Jesus had sent his disciples off. And so he was there alone. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, what, what time of the day is this? It's the middle of the day. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. It gets hot. And it's cooking. And there is no really good reason to be at the well in the middle of the day. I mean, the water is there, yes, but this is a good time to stay at home under shelter and away from the sun. And this woman comes out, so we know some things about her right away and from what the story tells it. And let me just summarize real quickly her situation. As we look at this passage, he asks her for some water. And then they get into this dialogue. And as they go back and forth, back and forth, and she's, you know, who are you talking to me? You're a Jew. You never talked to Jim Samaritans. And what is it? And, and you go, okay, that's an interesting dialogue. But then she gets into a discussion about should we worship here or in Jerusalem? And But let's think about the woman for a minute. This is a woman who's at the well in the middle of the day. And Jesus is talking with her. Some things that immediately don't register but should register in this situation. First of all, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, period. They could avoid them, they would. And a Jewish man would especially not talk to a Jewish, uh, an, a woman, much less a Samaritan woman, much less a woman, a Samaritan woman, who is at the well in the middle of the day. And you go, well, what's the big deal about that? He says, because most of the women, if they went to the well, go in the cool of the morning. Wait until it gets a little bit daylight so you can see where you're going but the sun isn't blazing down and let's go and get some water. And they would travel together out and back to the well. So the fact that she was alone and in the middle of the day tell us that not only is she a Samaritan woman, she is ostracized by the Samaritans. And Jesus starts to dialogue. And it's a great story. And I won't go into this, but he reveals to her that he knows who she is. And how the background that she had. 
Have you ever had a hard time interacting with somebody who is different than you? You didn't get them. I mean, your mind had a hard time grasping how they could be the way that they are because that isn't the way that you operate. And here we have the most beautiful picture because who is talking to this ostracized Samaritan woman in the middle of the day drawing water the son of God and our God goes I'm here by divine appointment you go pastor how did you get that because he said I must needs go through Samaria and where did he end up at Sychar at the well in the middle of the day when the Samaritan woman's going to talk about divine appointment. And her response as, she, as he starts to reveal things that he knows about her, in verse 19, she goes, Sir, <laughs> I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> Someone let you in on who I am. He starts talking about worshiping God is the spirit and worshiping in spirit and truth. And they, then she says in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You're looking for the Messiah. Here I am. What does that tell us about the Messiah? Messiah is very willing to mix it up with the most ostracized, despised person that he had come. His disciples come back about that time, verse 27, and what? We see our word again. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said that. That would be rude. So the woman left her, her jar, her water jar, and went into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be? The Christ, can it be the Messiah? And the answer is, of course, yes. And they went out and they were coming to him. They marveled. There's multiple other stories. But just one more, and it's back to where we started. John chapter 11. Then we'll be done. In John chapter 11, we have the account of Lazarus that Tom was reading for us. And he only read a portion of it. You know the story that they sent a messenger to Jesus and said, Lazarus is sick. 
You need to come. We believe that you can heal. We want you to come and heal him. And Jesus refrained. He didn't come. He didn't come. So we catch up with the story. Lazarus has passed away. When he hears that Lazarus passed away, now he goes. When he comes to Mary and Martha, it says this in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now the disciples were concerned because where they were going was real close to Jerusalem and they were afraid that he would be, Jesus would be arrested. But it says in verse 17, and when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. There was many who had come out and, the, and their situation would be that they would have professional mourners. They would be those in the town who would be called on to do verbalizations of weeping. They would, they would dress in, in dark clothes. Sometimes they would throw dust in the air to show their grief and mourning. There would be those that would, that would play instruments. And Jesus shows up with his disciples In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus begins a little discussion about resurrection. And he goes, she goes, yeah, I know that that's a thing and it will happen sometime. But this is Lazarus and he's dead. When she said this, she went and called Mary, verse 28. And teacher's here and is calling for you. And as Tom read for us, Mary comes out to, G to Jesus. Look at verse 33. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And the question that should be in your heart and mind is why? Why is Jesus deeply troubled? We go, well, because Lazarus is dead. No, no, no. I'm asking a bigger question. If he is the sovereign Lord and he knows all things because he's omniscient and he knows what he's about to do, that's why he delayed so Lazarus would die so he could raise him back to life. Why is he bothered? Shouldn't he rather be sort of smiling inwardly going, wait till you see what is about to happen. That isn't what's recorded in scripture. It says when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews coming with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And they said, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then that famous of all verses, verse 35, Jesus wept. Who is this? 
This is Jesus. The one we talk about. The one that we share. Why? Because he does the kind of work that he does in the Gospels in men's and women's and boys' and girls' hearts today. What kind of care and concern, even knowing what he can do in a person's life, why does he weep with them? Because he sees their pain. He sees their anguish. He sees the hurts. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. And others were wondering, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Could have. He could have. We wanted to do something more. And we know that the story then goes, would Lazarus come forth? And what does Jesus say as he prays to the Father? In verse 41, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. After rolling the stone away, Lazarus, come forth. And out came Lazarus. Jesus said Heavenly Father, you always hear me. You know what's on my heart? We're in communion all the time. He says, I'm saying these things out loud for all these people around. I want you to know. I want them to know who you are and who I am in relationship to you. Do you think the people of that day marveled? So this comes full circle back to us. We're reading these accounts. We're pondering the teachings and the work and the ministry of Jesus. And the question is, where's our hearts? Are we filled with fears and anxiousness and worries and concerns and desperation like we've seen laid out here? things beyond the scope of our understanding. And there's Jesus. Jesus, who wants to reach in and touch our lives and change us and give us a hope. My prayer for you this morning you don't leave this place without marveling at our Savior. To wonder, to be astonished, to be filled with the impact of overwhelming surprise and shock. Jesus can do this. Yes, he can. And he wants to do it in you and me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this 
pause from our theological studies to talk about the centerpiece, Jesus Christ himself, who's altogether lovely, who's altogether more than we can ask or think, and wants to work in our hearts and lives, give us the things that only he can give us. Heavenly Father, may we be receptive to the message. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.